Welcome to the Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 318. Chapter 44. The Catch. Despite the trouble with Ambrose, my obsession with the archives, and my countless fruitless trips to Imra, hunting Dana, I managed to finish my project in the fishery. I would have liked another span of days to run a few more tests and tinker with it, but I was simply out of time. The admissions lottery was coming up soon, and my tuition would be due not long after that. Before I could put my project up for sale, I needed Kilvin to approve my design. So it was with no small amount of trepidation that I knocked on the door of Kilvin's office. The master artificer was hunched over his personal work table, carefully removing the screws from the bronze casing of a compression pump. He didn't look up as he spoke. Yes, Rilarkfoth? I'm finished, Master Kilvin, I said simply. He looked up at me, blinking. Are you now? Yes, I was hoping to make an appointment so I might demonstrate it to you. Kilvin set the screws in a tray and brushed his hands together. For this, I am available now. I nodded and led the way through the busy workshop, past stocks to the private workroom Kilvin had assigned me. I brought out the key and unlocked the heavy timber door. It was large as workrooms go, with its own firewell, anvil, fume hood, drench, and other assorted staples of the artificing trade. I'd pushed the work table aside to leave half of the room empty except for several thick bales of straw stacked against the wall. Hanging from the ceiling in front of the bales was a crude scarecrow. I dressed it in my burned shirt and a pair of sackcloth pants. Part of me wished for the end of the page! I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. I think it's really funny that he dressed up the scarecrow. Mm. Well, and we find he's a showman. Out, yeah, we find out on the next page that he's like, you know, all the technical stuff is somewhat important to him, but he knows that as much as anything, being a showman is important too, and in some sense is the most important thing to him because he is one of the one of the ra. It's also good that he's repurposing his clothing that he cannot wear. Yeah, yeah it's his true. Clothes. Yeah. yeah, he's uh, waste not, want not. And I just like on the level of craft uh, at the start of this chapter, we haven't we don't really know what Quoth has been up to. Right. Because Rothfuss hasn't shown us him working on his project. Occasionally, Quoth will mention that he is working on a project and he like we know he bought a crossbow a while ago. But Rothfuss has been careful not to show us the work that he's been doing in the archives. And I think that is a deliberate choice so that there's some part of Quoth's mind that is kept hidden from us and so that we don't know what's going to happen in this chapter so we are in some sense we're in kilvin's position too we're a little bit closer to Kvothe's head because we get his narration but we are in the same state of suspense as kilvin is that we don't know what Kvothe has been working on and what's going to happen and i do think that it speaks to how kilvin thinks about Quoth and what he feels about Quoth, that he's willing to put aside whatever it is he's working on to go see what Quoth has made. Like, that's how interested he is. Yeah, there's a certain amount of anticipation that we feel from Kilvin. 
And that makes us excited too, right? Because we're like, wow, it's got to be a pretty big deal. Every time that this was sort of hinted at earlier, my reaction was always like, oh yeah, that thing. Yeah. And, and then like, here it is again. I'm just like, oh, right, this thing. <laughs> yeah, there's so much else going on. And in the greater scheme of things, this is not that important. This is not really central to the plot as far as we know. There's certainly a theory floating around that the arrow catch will be repurposed into some kind of horrible machine of war. Um, but that remains to be seen. There's no evidence of that on the page yet. And so really, this is really just like, in, in the wider scheme of things, this was an excuse for him to get a private workroom that he could make the gram in. There's no, near as I can tell, this has no bearing on the larger plot. Well, I think that if you wanted to be so crude as to think that all things have to have a bearing on the larger plot, what it does allow is for Quoth to have a steady income stream, right? Because he makes a commission on every arrow catch that the university will sell. That's true. But by the end of this book, he's got the deal with the mayor. By the end of this book, he's got more money than he can possibly spend. Yeah, but how long does you that know, last for him? You know, we all know, we've all played enough RPGs that you have to have some kind of consistent income stream that you can't just rely on acquiring loot. That you also have to have your diligent people at home, you know, farming the hay bales or whatever it is they do. I mean, also real life jobs and stuff needing a consistent income. Mm-hmm. I like that you went to the RPG for the metaphor, but there's another one closer to hand. <laughs> mm. I just want to think about things that make me happy, not things that make me sad, Nick. I, yeah, I think this is sort of a, a low-key part of the story, but a very necessary one regardless. And Rothfuss also is so efficient at reminding us what the stakes are or establishing what the stakes are, too. Uh, like, in one paragraph that's like four lines long, he says... You know, I would have liked to do more tests, but I, the admissions lottery is coming up. I, I'm going to owe tuition. I have to pay back Debbie. So I need to get this project up for sale. And to do that, I need Kilvin to approve my design. So that's what has to happen now. That's what's at stake is my ability to stay at the university and pay my tuition. And something that doesn't get name checked on this page, but I think comes up later in the chapter is that Quoth has kind of broken the rules to, to do this building. He's accessed... He he accessed uh, the precious metals and used them for lending purposes, and he he admits that to Kilvin later in the chapter. And he also uh, bought the crossbow, which is contraband. So he has to gussy up this presentation because he has to make such a good impression that Kilvin will forgive his rule breaking. Yes, I also. I didn't touch on it last page, and I meant to, and I think it also ties into the way that Quoth has been not telling us about what he's been working on. But on the last in the last chapter, he also doesn't let us into his head in terms of how he feels about the fact that Fella mastered stone and he didn't. And I think that's ah. because he is somewhat chagrined at the fact that he's been basically blowing Eladin's class off and then Fella owns him by learning and mastering the name of stone when he's supposed to be this prodigy or whatever. But being a prodigy doesn't help you when what you actually have to do is work hard and apply yourself, which he has not been doing. I'm out of notes. I too am out of notes. Do we have mail? Well, let's reach into Mr. Mailbag's frothy gullet and pull out a letter from Joe who writes on the Aturan Empire. Hello all. In episode 290, you discussed the Aturan Empire and its successor, Atur, 
and the different ways the Aturan Empire's fall from power could have played out. I wanted to contribute my thoughts and say that I've always thought the Aturan Empire is to the Kingdom of Atur as Imperial Rome is to the Holy Roman Empire. Is the Kingdom of Atur technically an inheritor of the glory of the Aturan Empire? Kind of. But just like the real-life Holy Roman Empire, no one really treats them as an inheritor or an equal to the original. I also like to headcanon the Temerant equivalent to Goths and Germans being incorporated into and taking over the military and political apparatus of the Aturan Empire and setting up successor kingdoms in the same way it happened with the Romans. This is how I like to reason out Simmons' bloodline being inferior to Sovois, despite hailing from the supposedly more glorious former Aturan Empire. Am I trying too hard to incorporate my obsession with late Roman and early medieval history into this fictional story? Maybe so, but it helps fill the gaps my brain needs filled. Thanks a bunch and hope you are well. Signed, Joe. Joe, as a fellow history nerd, I think that your headcanon is, uh, like, that would be my assumption as well. I think that fills in a lot of the gaps neatly. And while I have kind of been thinking of the, like, the connection... I didn't make it as clearly as you did. And I think that your your reasoning of like them being sort of like a foreign latecomer aristocracy that were technically outsiders who were later incorporated into the empire um, is a really good explanation for why so the Vintish and Sovoy look down on uh, on people like Sim, whose family are kind of from the outskirts of the empire. That all makes a, a ton of sense to me. Uh, and like... I might be wrong about this, but the Holy Roman Empire were like German speaking, uh, like city states and stuff, right? Like, they, did they even have the city of Rome in the Holy Roman Empire? I might be wrong about that. I'd be interested to know. Yeah, there's no way to find out that information. No. I refuse to Google it. As usual, Jeremy refuses to learn anything. That's right. That's what weekdays are for. It's not a weekday. Yeah, it won't be a weekday for me until January the 11th. Oh wow! Whoa, you got a lot of time. You got an extra whole week off. Yeah, I took yeah. A, I took a vacation week. Oh uh, man, that was smart. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> maybe I should have done that. Oh, yeah, well. maybe you should have. <laughs> Listeners, every day is a vacation when you listen to Page of the Wind. I've been Nick. <laughs> I'm always Jordana. Today I'm Jeremy. We'll Page see you tomorrow wind. for another sunny excursion away from your cares on page of the way